One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We begin by acknowledging the Gabi Gabi people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast episode is being recorded today, and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to their parents with children with disabilities. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F word, so it's not really suitable for children. Well, you probably won't hear quite so much swearing among the beans, you know. Well, yeah. <clears throat> Not suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, green vegetables. Peas, beans, other assorted goodies growing and flourishing in our little veggie patch. Gary Bean here, so pleased to welcome you to Beans Talk number the second. Actually, you could say it's number the fourth, I suppose, because I did have a couple of great conversations with P-Dad Trevor before any of us P-Dads knew that we were actually beans. So, second, third, fourth, doesn't matter. You're here, my guest today is here, I'm here, and that's all that matters. So speaking of beans, it was inevitable, I suppose, that as soon as we began calling ourselves beans, the iconic Mr. Bean would come to mind for many. And indeed, in the Hangout, we have enjoyed a bit of a banter of late about Rowan Atkinson's mostly beloved comic character, Mr. Bean. I mean, who could ever forget Mr. Bean's brilliant rendition of the hymn Hallelujah in that hilarious sequence in the church. Now, I've been doing a bit of digging into the story of Mr. Bean. Get it? Digging? Bean? Yeah. All right. And as you know, Bean rarely speaks, and this has made him accessible to an international audience, not to mention an audience among the deaf, because a lot of his comedy is so physical and so visual. 
I'd actually like to talk with you about that sometime because I have a few things I think I'd like to say about that, but I'm not quite ready for that yet. For now, I was intrigued to learn that Rowan Atkinson himself acknowledges that something of Mr. Bean resulted from Atkinson's quite severe stuttering difficulties as a child. Atkinson discovered that this difficulty mostly evaporated for him whenever he was performing on stage, but also that this may have played somewhat into his decision to have Bean not speak much at all. I find that interesting and food for thought. Anyway, enough about that, Mr. Bean, for now. More later. Let's get on with this here. I am delighted that Tony Wilson has agreed to talk with us in this episode. Let me introduce him, and then you'll hear my recent conversation with him. Tony lives in inner Melbourne, Victoria, with his wife Tamsin and four children, who range in age from 14 to six years. One of those children is Jack, who is 10 at the time of recording, and has cerebral palsy. Now, Tony was kind enough to supply us with a couple of short tracks featuring Jack's voice. Very cute, let me tell you. So you're going to get a glimpse of what a delightful little tacker Jack really is. Tony is an author with over 20 books to his name, not jealous at all. Some of his books are on sport, some are children's books. Now, many of the peas will be familiar with Tony's book, The Cow Tripped Over the Moon, which is available on Booktopia. The book was selected for the National Simultaneous Storytime book in 2017. Now, I know that many of you will know what that is, but for some of you who may not know that this is the um, uh, the Australian Library and Information Association, ALIA, they choose a picture book every year that has been written and illustrated by an Australian author and illustrator to be read simultaneously in libraries, schools, preschools, childcare centres, family homes, bookshops, and all over the place, right across the country and the world. Tony's book, The Cow Tripped Over the Moon, was selected for that honour in 2017. Tony is also a public speaker and corporate MC. He's very interested in storytellers, storytelling and speech making, so much so that since mid-2020 he has hosted a very successful podcast of his own called Speakola with Tony Wilson and the website speakola.com. He's even been featured in a Conversations episode with Richard Feidler on ABC if you're looking for the podcast of that episode, it was called The Speech Collector. Tony is also a documentary filmmaker because he has nothing else to do, focusing mainly on his passion for sport. And he has a fortnightly spot on ABC Melbourne Breakfast Radio with Sammy J. Gosh. And today, he's talking to little old me. G'day, Tony. G'day, Gary. So good of you to join me, mate. Thank you very much for carving out the time to do this. Oh, thank you. And it's exciting to hear that the dads have their offshoot of 
on the biggest disability <laughs> program in town. Gary, you're the man. <laughs> yeah, we're the beans, mate. We, uh, I try not to be a has-been, but we're some kind of bean anyway. But it is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, hats off to Kate and Mandy for not only getting this whole podcast up and running and for forming this community of peas, but for now carving out a special place where we can have a voice too and, uh, and share our stories. Absolutely. And, uh, and we've got some amazing ones. I listened to your episode and the journey you've gone on with your son. You know, it's, it's inspiring. And, and, and I guess for me, who I feel like I'm earlier on in the journey than you, um, you know, it's obviously very different, but there's some sort of signposts of what's to come. Yeah, thank you, mate. It, uh, we've all got our take on it and we're at all at different points on the journey and that's part of the richness of it. Let me start out by doing what Kate and Mandy have done for a long time just to keep the continuity with the peas who are listening and who are used to this and it'll get us started a bit. Um, three questions. Firstly, do you have a piece of music that you recommend either for relaxing or picking you up? I love a song by Xavier Rudd. Um, called Spirit Bird. So this is my sad song that makes me feel sadder and therefore sometimes better. Um, it was played actually at the funeral of my uh, wife's cousin who died a couple of years ago. She committed suicide and, and this was the song that was put behind the montage. And And for me, it, it's, you know, it's just so Australian and it soars and it's such a beautiful track. Um, that's one that, that I would recommend and, and love to have on that playlist. Okay, um, thank but the you. Other one, That'll go on the Spotify list, yep. And, and the other one is, uh, is is one for Jack, really, which is Jack is obsessed with Bruce Springsteen and, and has been for many years. And he loves, well, he doesn't particularly love this song, but I love this song, which is Dream Baby Dream. And that's a Bruce Springsteen cover of the Suicide song from many years ago. I think it was in the 1980s. But Bruce brought his own take to it. And that song is one that I think also, uh, if I'm having a break from life, I'll walk up and down the road listening to that and it puts me in a good spot. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Yeah, they'll go in the list um, and we'll come to Jack very soon. Um, I need to ask you this because it's an essential question. Did you win any awards in school? Oh, <laughs> well, did I? Um, I won the high jump in year seven. Did you? <laughs> Jumped and meet. A metre 85. <laughs> I watched the Olympics this year and saw them going over <laughs> two minute metres 50 or something. Wow. Um, that was pretty exciting. And then at the at the end of school, do you know, I had a, a trauma going into year 12 where I, I thought I should have been a prefect and I wasn't. And uh, <laughs> I think the school kind of apologised. They apologised to me at the end with a kind of a, uh, an award that said I was a good all-rounder. I played footy and I, I was in, you know, I was a, one of the better students and you know in the end i got a, a really nice award that's uh that's one of the school's top awards that's called the Ivor smith award which was nice it was great are you serious though that you feel like it was a consolation prize <laughs> oh i definitely I, I was um yeah i mean it's a very long story i, I that you know I, I misbehaved in year 10 i did something i'm, I'm really ashamed of i was i was involved in a a a group chant against a female teacher that was just disgraceful and uh, uh, and we were all punished severely and I think that my ongoing punishment was that that kid is not going to have any leadership position in the school and 
And but that, of course, was two years before the end of school when I, I think they sort of recognised that I'd matured and uh, and maybe I, I, I should have been treated a bit better at the start of year 12. Anyway, this really is not about <laughs> what we're talking about. No, it isn't. But uh, it's, that yeah. was the question and that was the answer. And that is uh, a fascinating little insight into uh, your schooling. You obviously were athletic, were you? Yeah, so I was a footballer and I wasn't a brilliant athlete. I was more a, a good footballer. I was a good mark. And I actually got drafted. I was drafted to Hawthorne in 1990, uh, 1991. Wow. I was, um, uh, my dad had played in the premiership at Hawthorne. And, you, know, you better explain to the non-Victorians <laughs> what that means. Why is that? Why oh. That's important. <laughs> well, in the, those days, it was VFL footy, and then it became the AFL. But um, yeah, it was the top level. Dad, Dad's a you know he's a premiership player, and that follows you forever. And and growing up, it followed me everywhere as well. It was what I wanted to be, and I was very ambitious on that front. Um, and tried very hard. I trained very hard, and and I nearly got there. I got I got to reserve grade at, at Hawthorne, and then you know just the talent. Didn't quite get there. I was a bit unlucky with my body and it didn't happen. Okay. Well, good memories though. Yeah, yeah, good. And and lots okay. of people I met and, and I've had that interest in sport all my life. I'm, I've written books and, and quite a few of them have a sporting flavour. So let me ask the third question then. Um, and this is obviously, why are you part of this tribe? Why are you what we now call a being? Well, my son... Jack, he's 10 now, uh, born in 2011 on the 12th of May, and he has cerebral palsy. Um, he has uh, spastic quadriplegia in his four limbs um, and is in a wheelchair. Uh, he's a verbal kid. Uh, he's a very funny and affectionate kid, and, uh, you know, obviously easily. He's loved very much by us, but certainly he is. He suffers from a, a serious disability. It was uh, caused by a lack of oxygen at some point. We're not really sure when that incident happened, when that injury mm. happened. Okay, well, let, let's talk about how he came into the world in a second. Um, I, I really would like to meet him first, you know, um, if you know what I mean by that. Uh, so I want to ask you, what's he like you know, just just tell me about this little bloke. You're what you're a little man there. If I was to meet him, what's he like? He's very sweet. So he's a real. Um, he's really interested, and he's very entertaining, and he's very popular. Um, he has his topics that he's very keen on. Um, he, for example, at the moment, he is in a, a a Paddington phase. So for the last year, he's watched. The Paddington movies over and over, except for the scenes that involve Millicent, played by Nicole Kidman, because he's scared of Millicent, who wants to who wants to stuff Paddington. But 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 as a result of this interest in Paddington, a lot of our conversations are about the voice of Paddington, who is Ben Whishaw. And so, if you mm -hmm. met him, he kind of would immediately start talking about Ben Whishaw and Paddington and. And he's he has that ability to kind of charm and entertain and and uh, and connect with people. He's he's really good on that front. Um, often very caring. I remember I remember in in prep 
we were called to the parent teacher. He attends a mainstream school and the prep teacher said to us, you know, Jack has uh, learning challenges that are different to, you know, in terms of how I might report back to you on how his maths and English are going. Well, let's get to that. But I'll start by saying he's the only person who's asked me how my weekend was this year. And, oh, and for, my God. Really? And, yeah. Isn't and that for gorgeous? Me, and for me, that sentence is always, that's Jack. You know, Jack, ah. care, Jack cares about you. Jack is used to being surrounded by adults and, and has learnt those kind of, I guess, those conversational mores. Um, and so he, he really does his job and wants to talk to you and, and is um, entertained and entertaining. You know, and he's got a, a lot of friends we, we could finish the podcast right now, mate. That was fantastic. I'm so, I feel like I've met him a little bit and I would love to, to get to know him better. You know, that's, that thing about asking the teacher about how they are. Uh, over the years, I don't know whether you've had this experience at all, but uh, people got used to introducing me to others as Christopher's carer, you know, because I was primarily his carer and I was usually there whenever there was an introduction going on. And his first response was always, you know, um, that uh, uh, I, yeah, I cared for him. But my first response was, yeah, but he cares for me too. He's always looking out for me, mate. You know, yeah. I don't know if you find that, Tony, but he, he, he's sensitive to my moods and my needs. And he's always trying his best to make sure I'm okay as well. Well, definitely. He's, Jack is so interested in my life. I mean, I, I think I, I told you before we started this recording that I've had to tell him that the recording is tomorrow because he mm. loves to sit in. He would love to sit in here and listen to this. And this is one conversation I don't want to have in front of him. But but generally, when I'm recording my – I do a Speakola podcast, and if I've got a guest on, he often just tucks himself away in the corner and, and says, I'll be quiet, I'll be quiet. <laughs> and then he, he has moderate success at being quiet. <laughs> That's really sweet, mate. And you said he's seen all of these Paddington movies, so he gets focused, does he? He gets onto a topic. He really does. I mean, that's a that's an interesting thing about him. I mean, the paediatrician stressed to us at the time when we started talking about this, when we noticed that, you know, he just would watch Bruce Springsteen every day on YouTube for five hours and, and be able to specifically requ request the Bruce Springsteen concert he wanted i want uh budapest i want i want bruce springsteen singing with gaslight anthem mm -hmm. in italy in 2009 you know and and so he he has these sort of obsessive um fascinations with certain things and and we were we were told by the pediatrician that you know sometimes that looks a little bit like autism but you know in, in some in some ways it's often related to sensory processing and just who they are. And he happens to be a kid who does develop these obsessions. I mean, I could rattle them off. He said, Bruce Springsteen, he went into a honky-tonk phase. <laughs> he just loved honky-tonk and boogie-woogie piano. Then he, went into a, then he went into a Jerry Lee Lewis phase. And I had to tell him, Jack, do you know Jerry Lee Lewis was accused of, I think, firing guns at people and he married his 13-year-old second cousin or first cousin or something. I said, not necessarily that pleasant. And Jack and I used to fight on whether Jerry Lee Lewis was nice or not. Um. 
<laughs> so your household must have very interesting. It depends which which time of the year we come to your place as to what the current obsession is. Yeah. So there's a lot of footy obsession, which is is, is really lovely. I mean, we we're talking about my obsession with footy as a kid, and you know, when you're a father, you know, I've learnt that you you you're not going to get what you expect when you're 20-year-old wondering what you might be like or what life might be like as a father. Certainly, I would tell any 20-year-old not to think, not get, not to get too fixed on that image of what parenting or what their kid might be like. But, you know, I would have thought, oh, surely my kid would like footy and one of my kids does like footy. It's, it's Jack. My other son can't stand footy, Harry. Um, mm. and, but Jack loves footy. Uh, but he, but he's kind of, he gets a little bit tense about sirens. In fact, he, he gets a little bit tense about any alarm, anything that is going to end with a countdown. Jack is tense about. So if I set an alarm saying right. everyone's got to tidy the house for the next twenty five minutes, and there, an alarm will go off the end, I've got to turn that alarm off because Jack will get agitated that there's an alarm on mm. that is going to sound at some point. He doesn't, he doesn't like that sense of mm. countdown. And so he actually struggles with – we go to the footy, we go to live footy and we watch a bit of footy on TV, but he asks continuously how much longer in the quarter. You say, oh, 11 and a half minutes. How much longer in the quarter? Nine minutes. I'll tell you when it's two minutes, Jack. I'll tell you when it's two minutes. But some of his enjoyment of actual live footy unfolding before us is diminished by how worried he is by that countdown. So quite a lot of our footy is watching YouTube clips of games that have already happened. And in those cases, he seems to get less worried about the countdown to a siren. It sounds to me like the two of you get on really well and you spend a lot of time together. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, spend, we talk about lockdown in Victoria. I mean, I've, I feel like I've spent every hour with him apart from a couple of relief hours that we've had with higher up helpers and that sort of thing but it'd be close to uh yeah 18 20 hours a day (laughs) you know he slept down here he slept in the next bed to me for um quite a a lot because he likes to have someone next to him and down here um and yeah he's he's uh we're very close, very close. He's a he's an amazingly big part of my life. That's so lovely to hear, mate, that you're there for him because uh, clearly that's been such a big part of his life so far. Let's let's go back to the start there to talk about uh, some of the things you hinted at earlier. So he was premature. Yeah, he was six weeks premature. So. He was due. Okay. He was due, I think, early in June, and he arrived on the twelfth um, of May. And I still remember the call. I was kind of. I used. To, I'd write down at the Abbotsford Convent in in Melbourne, and I got a call from a friend who said, "Are you at the hospital yet?" And she just assumed that this sort of dramatic mm. run that my wife was making towards that her waters had broken and that she was um, needing to go to hospital. She assumed I knew about it, but but actually I didn't know about it. Oh, so man. I started riding very yeah. quickly on my bike back home and got home and, and Tam was there and we were sort of being counselled through it. She hadn't gone to hospital at that point and we were booked in for an emergency seizure a couple of hours later. 
um, at 6 p.m. Yeah, so that was how it happened. And then he was born um, at you know, 6 or 7 o'clock that, that night. Um, it all went reasonably smoothly to start with, so he responded well. He, uh, there was no sign other than him being premie, which is that, that, that we might be in a bit of trouble. Um, and right. he, but I guess the first sign was that he, he, we were at the St. Vincent's private and overnight I'd gone home to be with the other kids and overnight he was taken from St. Vincent's private to the Mercy neonate because of them having a better neonatal department. So basically they were a little bit concerned with his oxygen, his ability, his breathing difficulties. Mm-hmm. And okay. they said, let's just take him to the the bigger neonate department at the Mercy. And so, and, and but then we, he was in the, the special care nursery for two or three weeks and he had a going home day set and he was progressing with his bottle feeding and, and all these things were, you know, Tam was expressing, and, and he was bottle feeding, and it was it was looking like we, you know, it was looking reasonably positive, and yeah. then you know you get the phone call, the you get the disaster, the the, um, the you know sitting on the couch, and get a call from the hospital saying we we need you to come in and and talk to us, and you're saying well that doesn't sound good, I'm I'm not going to cope with a drive in with you saying. I, you need to talk to me. So, can you just tell me now what we're going to be talking yes, about? Yes. And and the doctor said, "Look, he's had a he's had a scan um, uh, within within the humidity crib or whatever he was in the neonate crib. They did a one of those portable uh, no, it was ultrasound, not a CT scan, an ultrasound. And basically, your scan's bad. We need to talk to you about your bad scan. And so, and he's about uh, six weeks at this about, time." Yeah, no, he was about three weeks. So it was thirty first okay. of May. It was actually my wife's birthday. So, oh, you know, really? Just, um, yeah, we we had to drive in and sit there in the room, and uh, yeah, they showed us the scan. I, I never, yeah, I never. Thought, yeah, that was a bad day. And what did the scan show? Well, they. It showed black dots, so they show you a, a sort of a cross section of the brain, and the black dots were explained to us to be areas where there was the the tissue had been filled by where that was not live brain where the black dots were, you know. So that's where the injury had occurred, and um, mm. and his black dots ra- radiated out like a peacock feather, you know, like it was. It was the sort of um, sense that there were a lot of black dots. And so and there's a name for that, you know, I that, believe, isn't there? Yeah. So it's called um, his actual condition is uh, called a PVL or periventricular leukomalacia, which is mm-hmm. that as a result of oxygen deficit, the white blood, the white cells in the brain die, and um, the white matter and and the grey matter can die as well. Um, and and yeah, but when he had his oxygen deficit, we we're not really sure. I see. And is that connected with the cerebral palsy then? Yeah. So then it becomes if that incident is called PBL or that condition, that just then gets picked up 
by the umbrella term. Cerebral palsy is an umbrella term of mm, of yeah. all children who or babies or neonates who suffer a brain injury uh, at yeah. or around the time of birth. And so um, he gets picked up by that umbrella term. But at the time, they told us it was PVL. That's what the, the neonates were, were calling it. And then it becomes cerebral palsy when you get referred into the system. Has it ever been an issue for you that uh, there's not really any understanding of what was going on or what happened or how this happened? Yeah, it has. I was worried about that. I mean, I still am worried about that, but... I wanted to find out, so mm. I, I remember. I remember we got. To, I was a lawyer as a twenty-something, so I, I did law school and then came out and was a solicitor at Minter Ellison for a couple of years in Melbourne. I, I didn't do anything like, um, you know, I didn't look at to do this sort of torts law or anything like that. But I, I did commercial law and I studied law at school and I, I knew that. I knew that you had six years, like you've got six years in which to make a decision on finding out what happened and whether there was any um, any negligence or, or, or yes. you know, just any mistakes made that you needed to know about. And, you know, as, as those six years were approaching, when it, for year four or five, or I thought, you know, once the six years are gone from the time of the injury, we won't have an action. And yes. I'll just have a... I'll have a look. I'll find out and just get someone to look through the file and 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 clarify whether there was any um, anything that could have been done, whether whether there was what the cause was, and and what came we out of didn't that? get anywhere with that. Nothing. No. No, okay. no obvious um, mistakes. And you know, in some ways, that's 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 good. You know, that's a good for peace of mind. It's it's. Maybe not good yes. for financial well-being of the child. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But um, the NDIS has helped on that front. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Um so was he you say he was in special care? Did he go then to Niku? Yeah, so he was in um, special care nursery. No, what's Nico? Is that the is that the very intensive care? That's the care? intensive care. Yeah. No, no, I don't think he was. I reckon he was in special care only. So he had he had a few tubes in his nose and um, and was in a warm crib and that sort of stuff. But he wasn't. No, he wasn't in. He wasn't in Nico. He was in special care, care nursery. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. But how long after that um, scan were you able to take him home? I think we took him home that day or the next day. Okay. So it didn't it, – his health was reasonably robust. They only – and one thing that made me go down this road four years later into wondering what had gone wrong was that there was not, not many signs. The special care nursery were telling us that he was feeding really well. He was a really good little baby. And so there was sort of – we weren't told that there was anything wrong particularly other than him being premmy and that he not breathed terrifically well on the first night and and then we had a date where we thought we were taking him home which was around the end of may um and and they do this ultrasound in the crib and so there was no they didn't ask us Mm. before they did that ultrasound that they were going to do it and so that was what made me wonder oh did something go wrong that made them want to do the ultrasound that we weren't told about um but the the ultrasound, they explained it to us at the time that there was some kidney function they were a little bit worried about. So whatever goes on with the kidneys and, and urinating and whatever else, they were not 100% happy with how that was going. And one of the flow-on tests that went with the um, concern about the kidney function was a, a brain ultrasound and, and that that, ha- that was triggered automatically and we... Uh, yeah, right. that was, and that was why it's the routine. ultrasound happened, and that's when, mm. yeah, and then we then they find out they uh, they they can tell us. Mm. Okay, so tell us how it went when you got him home. You know those first few months and years, because it's clear that his cerebral palsy hadn't been diagnosed at that point, so it must have become evident as time went on. Yeah, so we were just in that. That was a. That was a really hard time. I mean, it's, it, there's lots of difficult, difficult times, but that was that was a really memorably hard time. Um, he, we were just waiting, I guess, so that we know the scan is bad and what the the what the neonate expert had told us was, look, we can't say this will cause cerebral palsy because sometimes you can get a bad scan and and not terrible results um, sure. you might not have yeah. particularly evident disability with quite a bad scan and sometimes you can have a really quite an okay scan and quite devastating results so that's okay. what that's what the that's what the doctor said to us but he said look i don't think i've ever seen a scan like that and seen no results and so right you're sitting there going well well where it's a matter of waiting and watching yeah, and so you sort of know that um, you're going to see some results. It would be very unlikely for a 20-year uh, neonate to to be completely, to see a miracle. And, but you, you do hope for the miracle still. You still hope for the miracle. There was, but you're on alert, so he was you? not very constantly to paying attention to everything. Yeah, and he could do things like um, he could... I remember early on he could uh, he couldn't roll over, but he could get he was moving okay in some respects, and he wasn't as um, he had good flexion in his hips and groins. You know, he could he wasn't too stiff, and so we thought, oh, he hasn't got that kind of really stiff 
spasticity, spasticity mm. and he wasn't really floppy either, you know. And so there were signs up to about three months or six months where we're thinking, oh, maybe, maybe, but then, you know, then you don't, you don't roll over yourself and you don't sit and the, yeah, and then it starts okay. being, becoming much more obvious, yeah. So, so how old was he when you first heard the term cerebral palsy? Oh, he was three weeks old. So, because when I said, yes, okay. what's the most likely situation yep. that occurs here, um, Dan, our doctor, said cerebral palsy. That's a very likely scenario. Mm -hmm. So I was watching. I knew that what would probably happen would be cerebral palsy. Okay. But there's no way of knowing at that stage what the what that will present like how profound it will be and what the implications will be are there you just have to kind of find out as as you go along yeah i remember that first meeting you know you're sitting there bawling your eyes out looking at the scan and mm. and i was just asking all those questions like will he be able to see and will he be able to drive and will he be able to run and it's just, I remember asking, would he be able to drive? It's like, <laughs> it's just such a weird question to ask from my perspective 10 years later. But, um, you know, yeah. And that, but, you know, the, um, and then the uncertainty. I mean, everyone will say that the uncertainty is the most difficult thing. And I wonder about that. I certainly think the uncertainty is hellish as you're sort of wondering what's going to unfold. But, you know, the, the certainty is quite difficult as well when you know, okay, <laughs> so that 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 3%, 1%, half a percent of hope I had didn't um, didn't pay off. Mm. So in those first few years before you were even having to consider things like schooling, you obviously went through the therapies and the, uh, the process of assessing and preparing yourself for what might happen. Yeah. So we started seeing physios at, at well, three months, I reckon. We were seeing a physio, yeah. work, working even just on stretching him and trying to get the get in the directions of rolling over. And and, um, and we saw an ophthalmologist. Actually, one of the most devastating aspects of, of his disability for me was, I still remember, um, he was, so he's got this um, nystagmus. His eyes move from side to side as you, as you look at, him and and so it doesn't look like okay. he, he doesn't he doesn't look like he has um normal eyesight but then my other son has nystagmus as well they don't he's it, it doesn't it does impair my other son's um eyesight a little but not not amazingly um my, my son wouldn't rather mm. son, harry wouldn't be regarded as partially sighted or anything um so jack has nystagmus like his brother um and then I remember the tests went through and the ophthalmologist came back to us and said, look, he has a sound, he has he has vision, his optical nerve is not damaged in any way and his mm -hmm. he has vision, he will see. And I just remember mm -hmm. like weeping with joy that he was going to see and because the thing about cerebral palsy is that it's a lottery as to which of the cells have been knocked out. Um, so, so it might be vision, it might be... Um, it might be the left thumb, it might be the mouth and vocal cords, mm. it might be, you know, there's all sorts of things that can be affected by the section of the brain. It just depends which section of the brain didn't get the oxygen. And and so 
every yeah. cerebral palsy manifests differently in in every kid depending on how their injury um, tracked. And so when I heard, oh, he can see, when, I, he can see, you know, I just remember how happy I was that sight was going to be one of his things. And then over the years or over the next year or two, he he's diagnosed with this thing called CVI, uh, CVI, cortical vision impairment. And, and what that means is, yes, he sees, okay. but the section of the brain that processes vision doesn't has been affected by the brain injury and so he is presented with a he's 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 being his eye is presenting a perfect picture which is what the ophthalmologist told us but his brain is making Mm. life difficult for him it's not deciphering that image Mm. in a clear way and so cvi kids Mm -hmm. often struggle with noisy images so they might be able to see a yellow okay. number on a black background, but they'll struggle with trying to watch a movie, you know, with a normal movie that we might all watch. They won't be able to pick the character out and sort out what's happening in the background versus the foreground. That's all too hard. And so what we've been presented Have with... Have you what, had that conversation with him? Uh, like yeah. why, why he's finding things difficult to see or why he's seeing them differently? Well, I haven't. No, I haven't told him that he's got CVI. I've never said that. I've asked him what he sees. So but it's I, never come up as, oh, Dad, I didn't, I didn't see that. What you know? So that hasn't really come up in conversation. No, he doesn't talk about his disability much. So I, I asked him. Sometimes I ask him, "Can you see that? Is that letter big enough?" And he, and he can. Mm-hmm. He learned to read in his head to some extent. So he struggles to read on the page. Mm-hmm. Because his ability to scan and separate background from foreground, um, and for the letters to be big enough, if he was reading, he'd be comfortable maybe with a the letters being oh, ten centimeters high, and and if you put him an A or a B of a ten centimeter high letter, one meter from him with a clear background, he can see that letter, and he might be able to see a four letter word mm-hmm. now and sort that out, but to be able to read in a book or to scan text quickly or even to see a billboard, I, I would see that, that as much beyond his vision. Yeah, so I do ask him, I, I test him, oh, did you see that or can you see that? He sometimes surprises us, you know, he'll say, oh, that man was wearing a Hawthorne scarf and it was a <laughs> guy on the street, you know, sort of 10 metres outside of the car that we were driving past. Okay. But he's got that. You go, wow, he got that. That's really that's really impressive. But then I, um, I, I can tell that there's a lot of visual mess for him. Mm. So how has all of this impacted his schooling journey then? So he's a verbal kid, which is a, a massively, you know, that's been a, just such a win. You know, the, he's a lovely little talker and, and I think you've got a little bit of audio of him. But, mm. you know, he... Uh, you know, and if you want to play a little bit, you can. Um, Let's do that. The, I think it would be great if we could hear him speak. Yeah, that would be great. Pause, ready? Counting in. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Tony. Hi, I'm Jack. Jack's my nine-year-old son, and he has fallen in love with which type of avocados, Jack? Green skin and purple skin avocados. And? And say hello to my little sister over there. 
Alice. Alice, what do you think of green skin and purple skin avocados? Good. You don't sound very excited, but she has been in lockdown for a long time. What's the favourite way to have an avocado, Alice? On toast. What's your favourite way to have an avocado, Jack? Not just, you know, normal avocados. Straight out of the skin. Well, they come out perfect every time with green skin and purple skin avocados. Find out more, including about their ripeness button. That's where you press the top of the avocado. Find out more, Jack, where? At green skin and purple skin avocado. Dot com dot au and on our website and also on Facebook. That's right. And it's actually at lovemyavocados.com.au. I keep getting a dot com wrong. <laughs> so that's Jack. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that is Jack. He's very funny. And, and so... He, we went for mainstream schooling. Our, our philosophy was, oh, he's, let's see how he goes. You know, like the, and he went to a mainstream kinder. Um, he's always had an aide with him. Um, and then it seemed natural to go ahead to prep and, and just the same school as the other kids have gone to. And, and so, um, and look, it's been a really, interesting journey i mean it's not um you it's that difficult question of you know he, he, he hasn't got the same pace as the other kids i, I mean I, even just in the way right. i explained to you how he's processing letters then that immediately becomes challenging and life is slower for him at school in terms of learning and you know so in some ways he's separated out from the class a little bit well we chose mainstream school for him he'd been to a, a mainstream kinder and you know he, he really in the early years in particular i found you know he was just a popular member of the classes you know a lot of the kids were were fascinated with him and when they're little i think there's this sort of thing where um Inclusion is quite easy. Yeah. You know, it comes quite naturally to them. Uh-huh. And he was a, a, cute, a cute little fella who, you know, said sweet things and was and, – and this probably sounds quite gendered, but especially the little girls, he was almost yeah. like he was a, a, a living doll for them all. You know, that they, yeah. they played with him and he had constant company and, and lots of friends and – yeah, and so that that um, those kinder and grade one and grade two and prep and I, I felt like they were um, they were good years for him and quite happy years within the school community. Yeah, so that's you know, and I guess that leads to the 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 counterpoint, which is as as the kids get older, mm. you know, they just become. It becomes more difficult. It becomes harder to include. The footy games become faster, and the mm. chasey around the school is faster, and the, they're no longer sitting in the sandpit or or sitting around yeah. eating their lunches or playing pixies in the corner. You know, it goes to being faster and more dynamic and more sophisticated games. 
Have you found that it becomes less uh, kind as well, you know, less sweet as everybody gets older, they begin to be more competitive or, you know, that they begin to treat each other less respectfully? No, I think so, yeah. I, I, look, the it's just really hard. I mean, I watched, there was a, there was a little boy, just a beautiful boy. He um, invited Jack over for a play about, I think it was in grade two. It might have been grade two, and um, and they were setting up the play, and and my wife and and this boy's mum were chatting, and 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 it was never the the, the mum hadn't known that Jack was in a wheelchair because the little boy hadn't told her, uh, you know. So he'd organised okay. the play, and at no point, no at no point had had it become relevant to him to tell his mum. Uh, and the boy who's coming Isn't is in a wheelchair. And yeah. Yeah, it was just lovely. And you know, but the he and and this kid is just such a kind kid. I've I've you know, I've taken a special interest in him because of that. And and Jack and he caught up a few times and we've had the whole family away with us and you know, he is a lovely kid. Um but no, I can already tell now we're in grade four, so it's two years down the track or it might even be three years down the track. Mm. And Jack still asks to be in this boy's class mm-hmm. because there's that sort of historical bond. Yeah. But I, I can tell that the actual time bond and the conversational bond is not the same as two years ago. And, and, it, and it's not going that boy is no less lovely all he is is fitting in with the speed of life and and the demands mm. of being a grade four, and it takes a special effort to sort of jump outside of the the social pressures of being a grade four and to say, you know, I'm going to sit around with Jack at lunchtime. I mean, I don't think they choose to do that. Mm. You know, mm. I think they, and so Jack spends his time with adults and. You wonder about what that means, but, I mean, my son has always been around adults as well, and, uh, you know, that's the way it is with him. Um, how do you see the future for Jack? What's in your mind? Uh, you know him so well now, obviously you can't predict what's going to happen, but what are your feelings about the future for him? Uh, I don't. I worry about it a lot. So he'll he'll stay at a mainstream school, I think, till grade six, and uh, and then I'm not really sure what should happen next. I'm just mm. working that out. Once we get out of lockdown, once mm. we get out of lockdown, Tam and I will uh, start to do the tour of the different options whether there's a high school that's that suits or whether we move into a, a specialist schooling situation. I mean, that's a decision that we need to make um, in terms of how the that's the short-term future in the next two years. In the medium term, I, um, I know, I, I hope, or I'm confident he'll remain a really chatty and friendly and likeable and positive presence 
um, mm. but I, I worry about um, his. He has very uh, strong recall skills and very strong oral skills. He's able to um, to hear every instrument that's playing in a band. He's um, able to remember lyrics. He's rem- able to remember the names of band members. You know, he's obsessed with music and oral, and mm. but he, because his vision is poor. But where where he gets to in a kind of in, in in terms of employment and independence and you know a lot of that stuff is 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 now my murky future in the same way as I would have regarded this as my murky future when I sat there in that you know looking at that ultrasound. So there's a there's a sort of a murky grey ahead. I'm not particularly optimistic about it. Mm. Thank you for your honesty, mate. I really appreciate it. And I know this is sometimes going to touch on the things that are difficult to talk about. So I really appreciate this. And this is a conversation that means a lot to a lot of people. So thanks for continuing with it. So, yeah, look, we're coming close to the time where we might round out the episode, Tony, but uh, I wanted everyone to know that I'm going to be putting quite a few links in the show notes, both to your podcast, to your Spicola podcast, and to your books and your documentaries. I've also got two links that uh, Tony has sent us to articles that he had published in the City Morning Herald in the last couple of years. One is called Love, Pain, and the Whole Damn Thing. And the other one is called Why I Am So In Awe Of My Wife. I really have appreciated meeting you just briefly and meeting Jack. It's been such a, a, a joy to, to hear his voice. And I think it would be a great way for us to finish to hear his voice again, don't you reckon? So what if you and Jack or even just Jack on his own take us out? Why don't you set us up with uh, what's happening? This is a video of of, uh, you walking on the beach with Jack on your shoulders and you're being sports commentators, is it? Yeah, so this is a thing we do all the time. He's very orally stimulated. He loves storytelling, not so much read from a book, but he loves it if you make up a character or if you do an interview. And, And so we set up these scenarios all the time. And I said earlier that he loves footy and... He sort of, I guess, uh, he's attracted to the idea of commentary. He's got heroes that are commentators. That there is bigger heroes to him as the actual players, and and so we always have to kind of role play and game play the commentary of a game. And so sometimes I'll be the sidelines person. I'll be Daisy Pierce down on the sidelines, or he'll be Daisy Pierce doing expert commentary, and then I have to be BT, and then he has to be Hutto, and and. But it is reasonably constant and and we go out and, and one of his incentives to get him out in his walker is that I say, oh, we'll get out there and do some commentary. And we, we have these mock footy games where where Jack is the comment- commentator or I am the commentator and, and we interact. You know, so that it's a really it's a really lovely and, and quite funny to listen to. It's often very loud and and, um, and exuberant. And so, you know, that's that's a a part of our lives really every day, especially in footy season when he's surrounded by it. So here he is, Jack Jack Wilson on expert comments as we commentate West Coast and Hawthorne, I think at Barwon Heads Beach in about 2017 or 18 or something like that. Enjoy. What'd you say? When I saw a for the Iron Mouth at the MCG, it was like... 
<laughs> Ball goes up in the middle. Natanui up against McAvoy. Who gets the knock, Jack? Yeah, what's he do? It's what a star! <laughs> what a star! Back to the middle, they ball it up in the middle. Who gets it out of the middle? Sybil! Who's he kick it to? Godstone! Oh, and who's running past though to receive the handball? Is it little? Is it Bruce? Puyopolo! Oh, it's Puyopolo, Poppy! Now Poppy shrugs, he drops his knees and oh, has he got a free kick? Yeah! Oh, it's a free kick to Puapolo. And two seconds. Two seconds left. I, I Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.